0: Welcome to the 27th ever episode of the Unsigned Manager Podcast. My name is Sijikola Kolawole and each week I try and talk about football's biggest headlines, stories and events from both the past and the present to really take a look at what's going on. Now I say each week but my bad for the last couple. Um, real life has been a bit hectic at this moment. so. Recording hasn't been as consistent as it should be, but I'm back at it like a crack addict. Um, This week, I want to catch up on a bunch of stuff I've missed. Just go through like the key headlines that I haven't covered. nothing too in-depth. This won't be too long. But uh, let's get into the episode. Alright, first things first, I couldn't really start anywhere else without covering the mess Manchester United have been in. I can't even remember the last time that I... The last time I remember covering United was after the Liverpool battering, before the City game. And I think I said, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I said that City would win by less goals than Liverpool, but it would be a bit more of a challenge, it'd be a bit more of a game. And I was completely wrong. I was half wrong. They didn't score five. They only scored two, but the two they scored, the the way in which they dominated that game felt embarrassing. It was a training game. I remember watching Foden just just run around like there was there was no one around him, like like there was no care in the world. City was so far beyond United that day that was awkward. On top of the Liverpool game, and then the mess that was the Atalanta game, and then the Watford game. It was long. There wasn't any way that Oli was going to survive any longer. And yeah, my bad. I'm beating around the bush. Uh, at this point, I've, I'm at now. Ralph Ranić is about to be officially announced as Man United manager. Probably he'll take a step up into the board after the season's over and United will go and look for a new long-term manager. So, first things first, Ole Gunnar Gunnar Solskjaer. My bad. I feel sorry for him. I feel like everyone did him day, but he didn't help himself, if you know what I mean. The players perform so poorly. The club is run incredibly badly. For a business of this size. I can't believe it's so incompetent at the top. Players are just not performing to the level they should do. Can you imagine Luke Shaw at the Euros? You wouldn't take a look at this guy three or four months later and say, oh, this is Luke Shaw now. Harry Maguire has been awful. Bruno hasn't been anywhere near the standard he was last season. Ronaldo's scoring, but he's hurting the team. You just think there's issues all around. Varane can't stay fit. The board around him. Incompetent from the top squad building is a joke. This is the kind of squad you build on career mode when you're just having a laugh. You just think to yourself, all vibes, like I said in a couple episodes ago, was that 18, 19? All vibes, no structure. You think, oh, we'll just have a great time, we can counter attack, make chances, whatever. But they forgot the teams do this in football a lot, which really makes me laugh. They think, okay, we need to defend so that teams don't score goals. So we need a good back four, a good back three. We need to attack, so we can score goals and win games. And all teams just think that, what happens in the middle of the pitch, is like this magical fantasy, that no one really knows what to do, so you can just stick anyone in there, because it's all vibes. All you've got to do is, is kind of shuffle the ball, from one end to the other. But there's so much more, that's happening in the middle of the pitch, and the other teams that United, are looking to fight with, Thiago, Henderson, that's Liverpool's midfield. Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho, Oxley, chamberlain them Those players, Oxley chamberlain by the way. We'll get on to him. I don't know where he's come back from, but because of my team, all types of headaches. Manchester City, Rodri, Bernardo, Silva, you know what it is. Chelsea's, Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, Mount, everyone. In that middle of the park is one, it's probably the engine room, the most important place on the pitch. And United are treating it so, so secondary, so tertiary that they're not really caring about it. And it cost Oli. I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him, but it was his fault because he didn't help himself. Donny van der Beek should have been playing minutes. Harry Maguire shouldn't have been playing if he wasn't fit. He should have never, ever sanctioned the Ronaldo signing. If he knew what was good for him, he would not have sanctioned that signing. Fred and McTominay, Lord help the two of them. Two of Their two players are like... They are like Johnny Evans and Chris Smalling, but... They have no one to cover for them. They're like Evans and Smalling and Jones, where they're not good enough to be playing for Manchester United. The difference with those players is that they were playing in a team that was winning leagues, so you could cover for them. It's all right playing a uh, Phil Jones when Patrice Ever is the left back, or you can get rid of, you can get away with Wes Brown or John O'Shea when you've got Ronaldo winning games for them or Paul Scholes is singing it all around the pitch. You can't really do that when Fred and are the two people in front of you, I feel like united's weird apology retirement exit firing video for ollie was such a slap in the face if i was him personally i wouldn't have done it but i understand why he did because he's a servant to the club and a club legend and he'll always be remembered fondly but i see that as i knew i wasn't good enough they knew i wasn't good enough Rather than me trying to get laughed at the building, I'm going to try and make a video to make it look better. It was nice and heartfelt, like I respect it, but I wouldn't have done it. And I actually don't think of any other manager that would have done that. I don't even think if Xavi gets sacked from Barcelona, he'll be making a leaving video. You just set him up to look like a soft guy with no backbone. And that's what it felt like the whole time he was there, Like he was never really, he was like a supply teacher. Where no one really takes him serious. You're just like waiting around until the real serious guy turns up. But Oli doesn't seem like he had any type of like real, real firepower. You you couldn't see United going down at half time, going in the dressing room and being scared or feeling apprehensive because you know that the manager demands more from them. You don't see that with him. And they've just exacerbated that to the point where they're getting obliterated at home by Manchester City. And Liverpool are smashing them all around the place. And Watford, who have only just had a manager for about a month and might be the worst squad in the league, are running around all over them. And you don't feel no no firepower coming from their manager. Ryan was on the wall for him. Ralph Ranyick coming in. Ranyick, obviously brilliant football mind. Um Tactically innovative, everything he did at Leipzig, getting Leipzig from where they were to where they are, to the point where Nagelsmann took them over and they were becoming a real force in the Bundesliga. Recruitment times to what Manchester... Ralph Rangnick coming into this club might be the greatest thing that Manchester United could ask for since Ferguson coming in, honestly. He's a brilliant football tactician, a... B, his squad management and squad building levels are a trillion. And he doesn't want to be a manager long term. His real best abilities are when he's upstairs in the board. So Woodward and Darren Fletcher and the new guy coming in, all of them are going to have to bow to Ranyik. If they can pull this off properly, this would have been an amazing signing. It could have been better if they actually signed Conte and had go going above him, but. For the situation they're in, this is probably as good as they're going to get. You probably you can't really see another situation better than the one that they've got themselves in now. If I'm Ranik, I'm looking in, and you know the way he plays, the way that Leipzig team plays, pressing is going to be the first thing. He's, he's going to come into that training ground and say, all right, all this one-man presses, the rest of you sit. It's not happening anymore. I wonder how Ronaldo's going to take that. Obviously, sure when he was at Madrid in his prime, he didn't want to do any work. That's why players like Benzema and Isco and Bale were important and Casemiro, because they covered for the fact that Ronaldo didn't want to press because he knows his best abilities are in the penalty box. At Juventus, you pair him with a Manzukic or a Dabala, or Juan Codrado, players who are happy to press because they cover for him. I wonder what happens at Manchester United. Because in the Prem, I'm not really sure you can get away with that. I can't think off my head of any examples of players in the league now who don't press and the rest of the team covers for them. Even Klopp got that Liverpool front three. They're pressing machines. It's a problem to have the ball around them, as we will get to later. I wonder if he'll swap Ronaldo for Cavani. Um, I want to see what Rangnick does with Pogba's situation. You know, he's out till about January now. I think he's injured his, his, either his thigh or his hamstring. He's going to be looking to go on a free because United should have sold him last summer and they didn't. But to go from where they were a month ago, where they were getting obliterated week after week and it felt like doom and gloom and Ferguson is having videos with Khabib saying that Oli's not making the right decisions. To go from Ralph Rangit coming in, looking at this squad, hopefully you get everyone back fit soon they can make a real charge in uh, maybe a Champions League run. Definitely a cup run and secure third. That would be a good season. That would be a good season. Um, other stuff that I've missed. Dean Smith getting sacked from Aston Villa. Uh, Ryan was on the wall, but I didn't actually think they would do that. I thought Aston Villa might go more Daniel Farco route and hold him for an extra season or just give him a bit of time since his best player has left arguably one of the best players in the league so you thought you'd give him a little bit of adjusting time but from the other side i do see why the board made the move because if we spent so much money we just received 100 mil if we spent so much money on on leon bay and buendia and danny yings and we don't have a bad squad we need to be doing more we need to actually be making this transfer that we're spending we need to make that important and effective but I did feel bad for a bit for Dean Smith because managers go through rough patches. I'm not sure how much in the league now you can go through a rough patch. But it's not as if Dean Smith is not a competent manager. We know that. He's proven that. He took them from where they were to where they are in the league. Improved the squad. I, I don't know. I felt a bit iffy about that. But on, again, I'm happy to see Steven Gerrard in the league. One of the episodes I was going to do but didn't end up doing because of all the things happening um, was something about player managers, about the rise of player managers who are recently retired coming straight back into the game in management. So obviously you have Lampard and Gerard and Arteta, Patrick Vieira who's a bit further removed, um, Nuno the same. I just wanted to take a look and understand the different types. Frank Lampard is a Guy who retired, who went straight into a big job too fast. The Derby job, in the Championship, arguably the hardest league to manage in, to go straight from that to Chelsea was too much all at once. I don't know who, I respect him and all his self-confidence, but he should have respected the game a little bit more and slowed that down. Everyone knows. Thomas Tuchel has has said after Lampard sacking that it's not the same. Just because you played well does not mean you can manage well and you have to really respect it the same way you have to respect that. There's Arteta types who go and be an understudy to someone else, really take the time to understand all the processes and, and sit in the back seat, don't take charge of a club straight away and they make sure they get all their experience before they go and take a role. And the third type is Steven Gerrard who goes straight into a role but when he does it, he does it far away and out of the limelight. Like, I think that's the same benefit Jaden Sancho had when he went to Borussia Dortmund. The reason we re- everyone remembers Sancho doing really well at Dortmund is because we never saw the games he did bad because most of us don't watch the Bundesliga week after week. So it felt like every time you saw him, he was doing something good and he got to learn from his mistakes quietly without so much pressure. I mean, Lampard had the same situation up in Rangers. He can, he can be proud and boast and celebrate going undefeated. And he can also learn from his mistakes a bit more quietly because no one ever really watched the SPFL. So we see him take ranges from the club, that, the club that went into administration and let Celtic get to nine straight and yada yada yada. To go from that to a team that won the league undefeated and we can see him do that. But we don't have to see everything he's learning week after week which puts more pressure on him. I think it's a bit dangerous for him to go to Aston Villa to be honest. Um, there's two ways of looking at it. Well, this episode should be called Contradictions Time 10, or there's two ways of looking at it. But the problem with this is he's gone to a middle-sized club. He went from a small club in Rangers, small in perspective to the Premier League. Don't shoot me, Scottish fans. Small in perspective to the Premier League. He went from Rangers to a middle-sized club in Aston Villa, and everyone sees his natural career progression as becoming Liverpool manager at some point. See so the thing is, if he does bad at Aston Villa, the Liverpool job will not be on the table. So it almost would have been beneficial for him to go from small job to big job and hope if he doesn't do well at the big job, he can get knocked back down and go to a middle-sized club. So like Frank Lampard, who went from player to derby to Je- to Chelsea manager, and he got sacked from Chelsea. Lampard is still like around and touted for middle-sized jobs. He could have got the Newcastle job if he wanted. He could have definitely got the Norwich job. He can still make moves even though he hasn't succeeded at a big club. If Gerard does badly at Villa, if he goes spectacularly badly, which I don't think it will, I think. I don't know why I have the feeling for this. I don't know why, but I feel like he'll be much better than Lampard will be. Maybe just because I preferred him as a player, even though I think Lampard was better. If Gerard fails at Villa, that Liverpool job will not be on the table. Because he's already proven he can't succeed at a Premier League level. Do you know what I mean? But the same way around is if he does really well at Villa, then Liverpool job's right on the table. He'll be Brendan Rogers. He'll be d- d- succeeding well at a Premier League level, getting a good team to do very good things and he can go and take a top job like a Liverpool job or like Rogers did from Swansea up to Liverpool. So uh, it's two ways. I want to see how that goes. But I was surprised that villa made that second at the point they did i did think they'd give him maybe to christmas or whatever but then the issue is that if they start getting more and more adrift it's more of a problem so you want to cut the cancer out as quick as you can do but it's tight outside in football um the other things i wanted to take a look at was the arsenal liverpool game lord almighty um so for context i was in the pub bit waved a um, couple of days after my birthday and I was like, "Yeah, let it. Let's let's go watch the Liverpool game." Um, first half an hour, we were very competitive. I thought we were very good. Gabriel, Tomiyasu, Ben White, I thought they were exceptional. Bruno Tavares did much better than I thought he would do. Lokonga didn't look too out of place. Thomas Partey, Thomas Partey, it's not, it's not yet, it's not ready yet. But at some point, we're gonna have to have a conversation about that guy. I thought Arsenal were doing well. I. It took me a while. I didn't see like the lineups or anything and a lot of the times i don't really look at that i'll just go into the game and then kind of work out what's going on myself I, it took me a, a long time to realize we were playing lacazette like as a 10 or as a nine and a half behind the nine i didn't really get it i thought i'm playing did we go to anfield and play four four is happening here um and then arteta and klopp get into it his handbags on the sideline Um. I remember someone cleans out someone. cleans out. Someone In my mind, it's Tavares. It might be Tommy Yasu. There's an elbow goes up or whatever for a header. I tend to go screaming, yeah. And the second it happened, it was just like, oh, no. Because even when you're in the pub and there's loads of people around you and everyone's shouting and your friends are drunk and they're screaming in your face, you can hear when a crowd gets up in a football game. And the Anfield crowd just started screaming and it was like in a film like in spongebob and everyone turns around to the main character and says get him that's what it felt like to the arsenal team and then there was about 15 minutes of sustained attacks and arsenal just couldn't get out and then in the second half well firstly aaron ramsdale performance times 10 he was amazing i think we went into the half one nil down but he Or oh, they scored just after half-time, one or the other. But he was great. His performance was was really strong in the first half. And the second, it was apple crumble from the whole team. Liverpool just kept applying pressure. We couldn't do anything about it. I didn't understand why we kept trying to play out of the back when it clearly wasn't working. In that back line of players, Gabriel, I don't think he's great on the ball. Ben White, obviously good on the ball. Tomayasu, he's fine. Nuno Tavares, not good on it. Sambi Lokonga wants to play on it. It's not good enough to play at the level. He's not good enough to be receiving the ball under pressure at Anfield. Not yet. And Thomas Partey didn't want it. So, in our back six, only one person in Ben White I would have been happy to give the ball to. Lokonga wanted it, but it wasn't working. Oxley, chamberlain Jota, Salah, Mane were looking at us every time there was a goal kick and said, we're going to get this ball back. The, the Jota goal... Where Tavares just ticks the ball, runs it into the middle of the pitch and then gives it to no one. You're just thinking to yourself, why are we hurting ourselves? United had just lost 4-1 to Watford and we were almost the biggest L of the weekend. It was like, oh my goodness, this hurts. But um, I'm recording this just after the Arsenal-Newcastle game. We bounced back, got two, um, one at Newcastle, which is important, but like. It's those kind of Liverpool games that just show us how far adrift we are. (laughs) The top. Because as soon as Liverpool put it into high gear, it was a long day for us. But um, there's a few other things that I've missed over the last couple. Uh, Squad versus manager importance. I think this is an episode I'll cover very soon. A week where I have loads and loads of time and I'll do a bunch of research. Because what I really want to know, after taking a look at Conte's comments after the Spurs game where he's like, I'm three weeks in and I've realised like how much I've got my work out here. Solskjaer's issues at United, um Hotch's issues at PSG. I haven't watched that Man City PSG game in full. I missed the the champions league game so i have to go back and watch it but from everything i've seen and heard and read it wasn't great for psg i want to take a look at what is more important having a good manager or having a good squad because it feels like currently there is a trend same with um, max allegri at juventus where either you have good managers taking charge of okay squads and it's a mess it's an absolute problem Or you have poor managers taking charge with great scores and it's a mess. And I want to take a look at which factor is a bit more important. Just preliminary off my head when I was thinking about this. I can't think of any clubs who have won major trophies with below average managers. The closest example, not below average, like average or not elite. The closest example obviously is Leicester winning the Premier League. Because Claudio Ranieri, shout out to him, is not an elite manager. But the issue with that is is Leicester weren't an elite squad either, so it's a bit like, I'm not sure who's pulling what, I'm not sure who's the dog, who's the tail. But, Jose managed to win the Champions League at Porto, Poch managed to get a, a good, but not stellar, Tottenham team to a Champions League final. I just want to see which factor is more important, especially as we have a few of those situations right now um i wanted to cover patrick vieira shout out to him as crystal palace manager i feel like he's doing a good job right now i say this to everyone if you've ever seen me in life recently you've heard me say that crystal palace are the most fun team in the league to watch shout out to them bunch of young players very creative they don't it's not just give the ball to zaha and everyone pray he can make a chance for menteke or jordan Ayto to put over the bar now it's like fun players edward Gallagher, Eze when he's back, Michael Elise, who is mean in football manager, you should sign him. There's loads of fun little players in the team. Um and I really like the I really like what Vieira is doing. I feel like he started well. And that is one of the most underrated um transfer jobs of all the work that Ed has been done last summer for Vieira to take the aging palace squad. If you remember in uh, I think like the second or third episode of this, I did a real big deep dive into what were the hardest jobs to take in the Premier League right now. And one of them was Palace because because the majority of their squad was over 29. They had, what, off the top of my head, 18 players whose contracts were expiring. Roy Hodgson was leaving like it was a proper mess. Proper mess. And Vieira managed to take that, get young players in on loan or sign them, reinvigorate Wolff Zaha, Christian Menteke scoring, signing Odson Edouard, um, getting Mark Gahey and Joachim Anderson into the club. It's a it's a nice little project at Crystal Palace right now. And I give respect to Vieira. If people thought when his appointment happened that like he's only been at Nice and he's not very experienced and the French league is poor quality, so he's gonna come here with Palace and get waxed, but Obviously, it's very early days. I'm saying this before Palace probably going like a 12-game losing streak. But I'm liking the job Vieira is doing there. Um, the few other things I wanted to cover. Thomas Tuchel was a different level of manager. Um, he's, he hasn't got two strikers. He hadn't has two strikers for a while. He batted people. They batted Leicester. They batter everyone. Chelsea, a different gravy. It's nothing new there. Manchester City different gravy Ferran Torres looking to move to Barcelona I know this is such a mishmash of episode I'm just catching up on stuff um Ferran Torres looking to move to Barcelona slightly don't really understand this one for both sides for Barcelona do you need unless I'm not seeing the game right or if I'm missing something is Ferran Torres a nine is he a nine or is he a wide man or is he like that Is he like that breed of player who can play nine or wide, man? Because if he is, then I don't understand why Barcelona want him. They have a bunch of those people. They are looking to get rid of those people. They've got people who can fill in at nine or wide. They've got everyone who can play behind the striker. So if Ferran Torres is not a number nine striker, what's the point? And if you're Manchester City, why would you tell him? He's young. You he bought him for cheap. He produces whenever he plays. Why get rid? Unless he's pushing for the move, saying that he's not starting. Ah, unless he thinks that when the new nine comes in, he'll be the third striker in the pecking order. Because if they bought a Holland, and Gabi Jesus plays backup or plays on the wing when he's not playing backup, Ferran Torres is behind the pecking order. Ah. That would make sense. And if you go to Barcelona, and if they don't play Memphis Depay at nine, which I would do, then they can just fill Torres in at nine, play Depay on the left-hand side, and fill in whoever. Okay, I see it. But if I'm Torres, I'd stay at a stable. If I'm a young player, I always stay at a stable club, rather than go to a mishmash of a club. Because if Chavi doesn't work out, and he gets booted out the door, then who knows what's going to happen to Ferran Torres. Um, there's like an, another million things I didn't cover, or things that I had written down that I wanted to cover. I honestly had like two episodes written that I didn't end up recording because I was graduating from uni, and it was my birthday, and I was on every train in the world and driving a trillion hours a week, so my bad. November has been a poor month for recording, my bad. December, we get back on it week after week hopefully but um please support the podcast tell your friend tell your postman tell the butcher tell the person in the park tell anyone um i really appreciate all the kind words and all the support and all that corny stuff um i'll see you guys next week i'll probably try and do squad versus manager try and take a look at that if not that might be my christmas special but i'll take a look But i'll see you guys next week peace